Hello. For many, Mondays are a time of gloom as the weekend has passed. All leisure excitements faded to a distant dream, and the only thing to look forward to is five days of tedium and work drudgery trying to earn an honest crust to feed the family. Well, not for our listeners. They know that Monday is the day we post another podcast filled with tasty nuggets of advice, wisdom, and information about the UK property market. Not only that, they are probably listening because they're an interested expat client of APW, a friendly firm who can help them on their way to an income-producing property purchase in the UK, which could lead them one step closer to giving up work altogether and an early retirement paid for by an astutely bought property portfolio. Uh, Even then, they will still probably tune into our podcast episodes because, hey, they're just so much fun. Uh, Joining me in today's pleasantries are the top team, Stuart and Callum Williamson. Hi, Stuart. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm very well. Where are you at the moment? In your today, I'm in Sydney, Australia. Okay, excellent. Where are you, Callum? Same, same, same. Although uh, I don't know when this is going out. I'll probably be in Hong Kong or Singapore. So it depends on the day it goes out. But um, yeah, thanks for such a lovely introduction. That was that was wonderful. You've, <laughs> you've got some events coming up in February, haven't you? That's right. Yes, yeah. so we've got a. We've got a bit of a roadshow on at the moment. Uh, we've got Singapore, so the usual sort of networking property meet sessions where you just, we get together 50, 60 people and have a chat on whatever you like, meet other investors. We've got those in Hong Kong, Singapore and Dubai. And then we've got some smaller scale sort of uh, round table events where we have 10, 15 people sitting down for dinner or breakfast with a property professional from a different sort of area of the property market and um, really picking their brains on something specific. So, yeah, we've got a couple of uh, or quite a few different events going on this month, which we're very excited about. Well, for all you listeners, uh, you need to check out the APW website to to find out about those events and and the events that they hold regularly throughout the year. Well, I hope you've both got your rubber ducks uh, with you today because today it's bath time. Uh, yes, it's the city of Bath and a City Watch episode. Uh, Callum, can you tell us where it is? Yes, I can. Uh, the city of Bath is located in the southwest of England, uh, within the Bath and North East Somerset administrative region and the ceremonial county of Somerset. The city lies approximately 100 miles west of London and 13 miles southeast of Bristol. It's along that sort of M4 corridor for those people that know the UK. Uh, It's located on the southern edge of the Cotswold Hills in a bend of the river valley created by the River Avon, cutting through the plateau of surrounding limestone uplands, which those of you that know Bath will know the sort of uh, traditional buildings they have there. Uh, And that's a description that came from the City of Bath World Heritage Site Management Plan. Wow. Okay. And uh, the next question, Stuart, why Bath? Well, it can be only one reason, really which is the Bath Rugby Club. The recreation ground is outstanding, right in the middle of town, less than two or three minutes walk to many great pubs serving their own beer. And then you've got the Royal Crescent, what beautiful properties those are. I mean, there's seven, eight million to buy flats up there, but uh, they're still fantastic. And it's the origin of the great saying, can't see the wood for the trees, which I'm sure you know the answer to, Paul. But I think Cannon gave it all the way. It's all the world heritage status. It's the Roman baths. The whole of the southwest has had a bit of a resurgence. Bristol's done really well. Baths coming along on the back of it. 
it's not that long to get to London. So why not live out in Bristol or Bath, have some real proper lifestyle instead of living in London? Yeah, we had a look at Bristol last year. So uh, have a look for that on on your preferred property podcast collection. Spotify has got all of the episodes and you can find the Bristol City Watch and a Bristol Neighbourhood Watch as well. Uh, Bath is a well-known, beautiful city. Uh, it's also a UNESCO World Heritage Site, as you say, not just once, but twice. Uh, in 1987, it was inscribed for its hot springs, uh, Roman archaeology, Georgian buildings and natural landscape setting. And in 2021, a second inscription was received as one of the great spa towns of Europe. Uh, fashionable spa towns laid out around natural springs, which are used for health and well-being. Uh, any more fun facts about Bath? Uh, well, obviously, we all know that Uranus was discovered in Bath. I um, think it's Uranus, is- actually. Uranus is the preferred pronunciation. Otherwise, you get a lot of people snickering and thinking that you're just talking about something else. (laughs) Yeah, German astronomer William Herschel was at home in Bath when he detected the planet. His home is now the Herschel Museum of Astronomy. And there's a perfect example of people banging on at the moment about immigration. It's all going wrong. Look at that. We allowed a guy to come in who emigrated here, William Herschel, and discovered a planet. So who knows how many thousands of people who are coming in now will do great things for the country. Anyway, there we go. Fair point. I'm going to pick up on Bath having its own currency. When you visit the city, you can exchange your money for the Oliver, uh, which you can use to buy discounted goods in the city. 17,500 Roman coins were discovered in eight separate money bags in 2007. Uh, when work was being done on the foundations of the Gainsborough Bath Spa. Uh, The coins span a period from 30 BC to 274 AD. And the Bow Street Hoard, as it's known, is on display in an interactive exhibition at the Roman Baths. I'd love to know how much they are in today's money. I know. A hefty wedge, I imagine. Plasticine uh, was in in the Victoria Art Gallery, if you visit there, uh, you can find a bust sculpture of William Harbert, who was inventor of the nation's favourite children's modelling clay, uh, plasticine. In 1874, Harbert came to Bath to teach at the School of Art and Design, and he first concocted plasticine as a tool for his sculpture students. Clay could be hard to work uh, and dried too quickly. So he began experimenting in a makeshift laboratory in his basement, came up with a winning formula which was patented in 1899. He soon geared up for industrial processing in an old flour mill in Barthampton on the outskirts of the city, where manufacturing took place until the factory doors closed in 1983. So plasticine comes from Bath. Who knew? When I was a kid, we used to have plasticine, and um, it was great until you started mixing the colours together, and it developed that sort of general sort of purplish colour. And then after that, it was no fun to play with anymore. But um, when it was also in the visual colours, it was very pleasant. But other things come from Bath. Uh, Nigel Redman, great rugby player. He played for Bath a lot. Quite a lot of good rugby players come from Bath. I think um, some good beers as well. What's the beers that come from Bath, Callum? Uh, yeah, there's the one with the um, – the. it's got a hair as the logo. I can't remember what it's called, but it is lovely. it's a lovely draw. Yeah, some great beers from Bath. But other things, it was Go Crackers. Physician, physician and philanthropist Dr. William Oliver gave his um, name to famous cracker. He invented the Bath Oliver, a savoury hard cracker, often paired with cheese. And when he died, he left £100, a sack of flour, 
and his secret formula to his coachman, who subsequently set up a shop in Green Street and became rich on the proceeds. Top geezer. Okay, I've got one interesting one. The first ever stamp to be mailed was sent from Bath in 1840, four days prior to the official first day of posting. An item of mail left Bath Post Office with a stamp featuring an engraved image of Queen Victoria on the black background. The stamp, for you stamp collectors out there, is now known as the Penny Black. Okay, and uh, yes, worth a fortune, aren't they, the the Penny Blacks, unless there's been a crash in the stamp in in the philately market. Philately will get you everywhere. So that's enough of that. Let's go for a bit of history. Why is the city called Bath? Uh, well, it's all because of the hot springs. Uh, the Celtic goddess of the hot springs was called Sulis, and the Romans who built a spa there called the town Aquae Sulis Minerva uh, because they tacked on the name of their own goddess who they thought was very similar to Sulis. Uh, and so we get the name Bath. Uh, maybe it comes from the Anglo-Saxon word uh, Baal, which means a place where hot water comes from the ground, or Bath. Yeah, that seems better. So uh, the sources pump out 1.2 million litres of d- a day of water at 46 degrees centigrade. So the Romans built a temple dedicated to Minerva and a hot bath measuring 91 metres by 45 metres, as well as two pools and five baths and hypercourses and so on. Uh, you can fill a domestic bath every eight seconds with that rate of um, flow of the 1.2 million litres a day. So the rain falls on the mendips, uh, percolates through the porous limestone, heats up and then is forced back up to the ground via the Pennyquick Fault. So all built between the 1st and the 4th centuries, those Roman baths, and the hot baths are very much a theme for the city. Uh, one Victorian says the place was known as Achimanchiastre or Achimanchester, uh, which is literally Aching Man's City. So... The old Roman city was conquered by the Saxons in 577, but was never wiped out of existence. Uh, And in the Middle Ages, Bath became a major wool-producing centre. In 1174, it began its specialised hospital to receive patients suffering from rheumatism. Uh, The religious influence of the city was considerable from 1091 to 1206, because at that time, the Episcopal See at Wells was temporarily transferred to Bath. Uh, So one cathedral was built on the Episcopacy of Robert de Lewis, 1136 to 1166, and it was demolished shortly after 1495 and was later reconstructed as an abbey church in the perpendicular style. Uh, So that's the Bath and Wells Cathedral, I think. Uh, The Abbey Church was still uncompleted at the time of the Reformation, and the work was finished with great difficulty shortly before it was dedicated in 1609. In the 18th century, the middle-sized city of Avon experienced an extraordinary rebirth under the impetus of three exceptional figures, uh, John Wood, Ralph Allen and Richard Bow Nash, who had the ambition to make it one of the most beautiful cities in Europe, an ideal site where architecture and the landscape would combine harmoniously for the delight of the enlightened cure-takers. Uh, neoclassical style everywhere in the grand public buildings, the assembly rooms built in 1771, pump rooms built between 1793 and 1799, and the grandiose proportions of the Royal Circus and also Queen Square, as well as Royal Crescent, which you mentioned earlier, Stuart, uh, which is a half-circle of dwellings built from 1767 to 1776. Uh, Other nods to Prior Park and Pulteney Bridge, all reflecting this fashionable classical architectural style, referring back to Palladio, the um, 16th century architect who was active in the Venetian Republic. 
Uh, so it was where you get all the Palladian buildings very popular uh, around that sort of Georgian period. Uh, and I thank ICOMOS for their 1987 historical summary. That's the International Council on Monuments and Sites. And a quick extra word on Royal Crescent. There are a few other crescents that have had such an impact on architecture or held such an iconic reputation for so long. The Royal Crescent directly influenced architecture both in Bath and on a national and international scale. It marks the introduction in Britain of the picturesque to urban architecture and is equal to any composition in Europe. Uh, so there is a strong review for Royal Crescent in Bath. There's also a strong theme of the city setting in the landscape and the sweeping curve of the River Avon. So this architecture and landscape idea was um, was part of that uh, revival and very popular at the time. Uh, the countryside stretches right to Bath's doorstep and there are green views in every de- direction from the historic city centre. So this Georgian city became hugely popular. You had Jane Austen at that time as well. Four houses in Bath that you can claim to have accommodated Jane Austen during her active association with the city that lasted approximately six years. Uh, Since then, Bath, like uh, other cities, had cholera in 1849. Uh, Horse-drawn trams gave way to electric trams, which ran from 1904 to 1939. Uh, The old Roman baths were uncovered in 1880. Uh, There was a big bomb raid, though, in the Second World War, which destroyed over 1,500 buildings. Uh, After the Second World War, you had the American Museum in 1961, the Fashion Museum in 1963. Uh, Bath University was opened in 1964. Uh, Shopping Centre was built in 1972. The Museum of Bath at Work opened in 1978. And the Postal Museum, uh, obviously with that penny black that you mentioned there, uh, Callum, uh, that was founded in 1979. Uh, The Herschel Museum of Astronomy opened in 1981. Uh, The National Centre of Photography was founded in 1981. And the Bath Museum of English Naive Art opened in 1987. So a lot of museums and cultural attractions. 2006, a new spa opened in Bath. And Mary Shelley's House of Frankenstein opened in 2021. Uh, So let's have some pie. Population, infrastructure and employment uh, is the way we like to look at these cities. Callum, uh, Take us through the population stats. Okay, pi, population, infrastructure, employment. For those new listeners, it may seem like a simplistic model, but we like to use it because if somewhere has all of these things, then the chances are it's going to be a good bet or a good starting point for a place to buy a property. So that's why we go over these figures. Population, so we'll start from the start and move, move onwards. In 1801, the population of Bath, according to the census, was 40,000 people making it one of England's largest cities, compared to 2023, where the population is 109. The Bath and North East Somerset population as a whole is 195,000. Uh, what have you got nearby? Bristol's only 15 minutes away, so Bath is strong, strongly linked to its uh, its bigger neighbour. And according to the World Population Review figures I've got here, the city primarily has a population of white residents, which comprise of 94.6 of the population and comes in much higher than the national average. The communities of Asian, black and multicultural residents fall below the national average, whereas the population of Bath is 2.6% Asian, less than a percent black and 1.6% multicultural. Over half, half of Bathonians identify as being Christian, while 32% name themselves as non-religious. Other other religions are each followed by less than 1%. So you've got 
as well as the sort of uh, normal residents, you've got 20,000 students in Bath. It's got a pretty good university there. And I think that those sort of stats give you a bit of an insight into, you know, what the market is, is like there and the sort of person that's looking to rent property there. So that's population. Okay, yeah, Stuart, infrastructure. Just before we do infrastructure, but on the um, no, no, 16th, the Bath Beer and Cider Festival. So if you've got in a week's time, get yourself down there. It'd be a lovely place. But as far as infrastructure, there's heaps of projects you can find on the Bath and North East Somerset Council website. Uh, there's Bath City Riverside Enterprise Area, 98 hectares along through the city. It's recognised as a key zone for growth in the city by the West of England Local Enterprise Partnership, which has committed significant investment to help the city's ambitions to the development to be realised. Enterprise area will play a key role in providing much-needed accommodation for the area's flourishing high-value business sectors. Bath Keys is another major project. It's a flagship regeneration project to create a new and vibrant commercial quarter in the half of Bath City. Located on the north and south banks of the River Avon between Churchill Bridge and Green Park, this will allow existing businesses to expand and new companies to relocate to the city, as well as delivering a new grade eight office space to create high wage jobs, encourage economic growth. The project includes usable public space along the river, giving residents a nice look around Bath. Travel is pretty easy. I mean, one of the things I have found about Bath myself when we've been looking at property down there for clients is there's not a great supply uh, because it is very much a a location where they control their building because they want to make sure it's all environmentally correct and fits in with the, the way that the city has been set out. So that's a good thing. Um, Bath's easy to reach. It's just 80 minutes from London by train and a short drive from both the M4 and M5 motorways. 19 miles to Bristol Airport, connected by regular bus services. City centre's got a clean air zone with a park and ride scheme. Not large by any means. And then there's a tension between the historic landscape and a desire to develop new spaces. Yeah, like you say, the development idea, there's not a lot of space for expansion uh, because of this World Heritage status. Uh, so there's a tension there between the uh, historic setting of the buildings and the desire for new development. And there's a world, we mentioned the world management plan earlier. There's a steering committee who have to advise on new developments in the city. But obviously, you've got conservationists versus modernists as to what you build and where and how. Uh, so that's a kind of ongoing tension. But the World Management Plan, uh, it's a comprehensive document. It's very interesting. It's got a lot of information about Bath. So that's worth a read. So employment, I, I'll cover off some of that. The retail, tourism, leisure and health and well-being businesses continue to perform well. Uh, thanks to international recognition of the area's cultural heritage and restorative powers. The city, along with Bristol, has gained plaudits in the creative and digital sectors. So there's a lot of that production house stuff in Bristol, and that's also then spilling over into Bath. Tech and innovation is thriving uh, with that overlap with the creative sectors. Uh, there's strong links to the University of Bath and the University of Bath Innovation Centre, there's big firms Civica, Altran and Amdocs are part of that. Advanced engineering sector uh, with the presence of the MOD and aeronautics in the region. Uh, so, yeah, Bristol 
uh, you've got the BAE systems and you've got the Airbus that was built, bits of it in uh, Bristol. Uh, so they, as I say, Bath and Bristol are so close that you've got this this spillover of those sectors. So when you're looking at Bath, have a look at Bristol uh, at the same time. Of the 12 largest aerospace companies in the UK, nine have major facilities in the southwest of England and five are located in the Bristol and Bath City region. Uh, that includes, as I say, Airbus UK, Rolls-Royce and BAE Systems. Uh, the Bristol and Bath City region is at the heart of the largest cluster of microelectronics firms outside of Silicon Valley. Uh, so that's world-leading research organisations such as HP Labs, Motorola and Toshiba Telecoms Research Europe. Well-known international brands such as Intel and Broadcom are also based in the area. Uh, finance and professional is covered by a range of activity, including accounting, legal services, insurance, financial services and management consultancy activities. So there are another sort of sliver of that uh, economic activity in Bristol. But it's good to have this diverse range of activities because it means if there's a crash in one sector, you've still got other ones that are supporting the economy of a, of a town. Uh, you've got a big contribution from retail and tourism uh, with 4.5 million visitors a year and a reputation as a cultural de destination. As Stuart mentions, you've got the beer festival. Uh, they do also have an arts festival as well. And uh, did I mention Jane Austen? On the Bath Visit Bath website, there are some sections with headlines like 10 Janey Things to Do in Bath, uh, or 7 Places to Eat if You Love Jane Austen, uh, or Places for Jane Austen Fans to Stay in Bath. Jane Austen attractions uh, such as the Jane Austen Centre. Uh, you can find out about Jane's life, explore Georgian fashion, experience life in a Georgian townhouse, or uh, make like the Georgians and take the waters at the pump room take in the grandeur of the Holborn Museum or eat at number one Royal Crescent. Uh, are you a Jane Austen fan, Stuart? I can see you uh, dressing up in... Um... I love a period drama, just like the next person. And uh, the Jane Austen stuff that's been done is great. I mean, they've, they've made so many great films and series on it. And we used to grow up, it was a stable BBC sort of production thing on a, on a Sunday, I think, as a kid. But um, Wuthering Heights, I think I've got to say, is probably my best part of the Jane Austen and the song. That's the best part of it. Wuthering Heights was actually a Bronte um, Bronte novel, uh, not uh, contemporary, but uh, not written by Jane Austen. It's all right. Schwarzenegger, just... Bronte, Austen, <laughs> you know, yeah. they all just merge together for me. I'm just like one of those things. There are some modern films as well. Lost in Austin is very uh, is a very good series, um, and there are some very funny. Uh, I think there's Jane Austen with zombies as well, which is is also worth a look. It's actually surprisingly very well done. Uh, so, what do you like about the city from an investor perspective? From an investor perspective, it is a lovely city to buy in. You know, it's one of those sort of classic British location locations, and you're never going to go. You're never going to go wrong with it, you know, and you look at the average yield is 4.8%, which is actually quite surprising. I would have thought it would have been less than that. So I would say, yes, it's a lovely place to buy, but depending on what your goals are, there are pro probably other places out there that will help you achieve your goals for a far lower initial outlay or property price than Bath. So I would say, you know, unless you've got a real desire to buy there for whatever reason, then or you've got a heap of cash and you're happy to spend it and you've maybe got some existing properties, 
then it's it's a solid bet. But if you're starting out or it's a first or second and you don't want to spend 100 grand plus on a deposit, then, you know, maybe it's not the best place. But yeah, if I, I would buy there if I had 100, 100 plus grand spare. Yes, if you're coming up to retirement as well, you maybe want to uh, use it uh, as a property yourself and take the waters in your anecdotage. Stuart, what do you like about the city? I mean, there are cheaper places to buy in Bath. If you get, I did a property down near Bath Football Stadium, and um, they were quite cheap down there. Not, I mean, we were looking at, uh, I think it was 200000 for a small terraced house. And then at the same time, we did some two-bed flats actually on the banks of the river, and they were 280000 And so that really, it's not super expensive, but it isn't good rental territory. It's more like a lifestyle choice, or if you live there because you want to be there. And most people could come to us, want to be there to live, as opposed to because it's a good investment location. Yeah, so you've also got an option maybe if you, you know, you can buy a flat that uh, you rent out long term now with a view to moving yourself not to the flat, but to, to somewhere nearby in your retirement and having the flat as a sort of possibly a more lucrative Airbnb or holiday rental place that exploits those 4.5 million tourist visits a year. Uh, but you've got to keep your eye on, as we did that thing on second homes are, are less popular and Airbnb is, is a no-no in some towns. And Bath would probably seem to be the kind of full of NIMBYs who, who don't want uh, something unsavory next door to them. But uh, I'm guessing there. We'll have a look at a Bath from a neighbourhood perspective in a future episode if we can. That's it for today. Thank you very much uh, to Stuart. Thank you, Paul. And thanks to Callum. Thank you very much. And thanks to Emma Holton, as ever, from Brilliant Audio for her production skills and expertise. Uh, my name's Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.